I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We want to continue the series that we started uh, a number of weeks ago on our authority in Christ. We've been using Luke chapter 10, verse 19, as a, as a text scripture, a beginning point. Jesus has commissioned the 70 to go out and, and to preach in the cities before he would show up in those cities himself. He commanded them to heal the sick. He commanded them to, to do certain supernatural works. It says, beginning in verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to, unto us through thy name. Now, if you look at the things that Jesus told them to do, casting out devils was not involved, was not included. He didn't say one word about you exercising authority over the devil. He did say heal the sick and preach. But he didn't say anything about casting out devils. But they come back and they said, Lord, we found out that your name went even further than you told us. So Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He's talking about when God cast him out of heaven long before the earth was created. So it says, Jesus then said, Behold, I give unto you power. Now, if you notice, read a little bit further in verse 19, the word power is there twice. It's two different Greek words. The first word power means delegated power or authority. The second word means ability, what we would know of as power. So he says, Behold, I give unto you authority, literally, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. That word is ability. You have authority over the devil's ability. Now, folks, please notice it does not say the devil doesn't have any ability. See, so many times people get the idea, us word of faith people and, and whoever, whatever you want to call us, sometimes people get the idea that since the Bible identifies Satan as a defeated foe, they think he has no power. Well, he does. If he had no power, you'd have no need of authority. Now, we've used the illustration before. It might bear uh, repeating again just real quickly. The difference between power and authority is easily seen when you see a policeman in the, in the intersection directing traffic. He doesn't have the power to stop the cars. Even the smallest car could run him over. He doesn't have the ability, the physical strength to stop traffic, but he has the authority to. He's got a badge that says he's enabled and empowered by the city or state local government. So there's a difference between authority and power. The devil does have power. Please recognize the devil does have power here on the earth. But thank God you have authority over it. So Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power, literally authority, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And I like the last part of the verse as much as any of the rest of it, maybe more. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. And nothing shall by any means. That means there's no way the devil can use his power to hurt you if you're using your authority. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, we usually stop reading there at verse 19, but notice verse 20 because it brings out an important fact. Jesus said, goes on to speak in, in, about the same subject. He said, notwithstanding, he said, beside all this, because this is true, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, Jesus is, is how do I say this? Jesus is dissing the devil to such a degree He's saying, don't count it a big deal that you have authority over the devil. But instead, he says something that I think we miss a lot of times just in, uh, uh, in casual reading. He said, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You know what that tells us? That tells us authority is based on relationship. He said, the thing to rejoice about is that your names are written in heaven. Not that you can cause the devils to be subject to you. That just comes as a result of your relationship with God. 
Now, this morning, I want to talk to you about the exercise of authority. We've talked about a lot of different things. we talked about the sovereignty of God. How does authority mix with sovereignty? We've talked about predestination and some of the things regarding that that people always throw up. Well, but how can we have authority if God has predestined everything? We talked about that. We won't take time to go through it again this morning. If you missed those services, I encourage you to get the tapes or go to the website and download the MP3s, whatever. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the exercise of authority. Now, we've looked at, and if you want to look back there again, you can, but in Genesis chapter 1 in verse 26, the Bible tells us about God's original plan for creation. God said, literally, it's God, the Holy Ghost, and Jesus talking together. That's what that name God means there in Genesis 1:26. It means Elohim. It means the three in one. And it says, and God said, they're talking it over together, let us make man in our own image and let them, it uses the word them, not him, not Adam, but let them have dominion over the fowl, of the, uh, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and everything that walks on the earth and so forth, over all the works of our hands, in other words. He's intended for man to have authority, not just Adam to have authority. Now, we look at it from the standpoint of the Garden of Eden when Satan came in and, and deceived Eve, and Adam went along with what she was doing and disobeyed God. We look at authority as being in the hands of two people, Adam and Eve. But God's original plan was for authority or dominion to be in the hands of all of mankind. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. If Adam and Eve had not fallen until after they had children, that may be the case now. We don't know for sure, but the Bible doesn't tell us one way or the other. So we look at them as the only two that were around. What if they had authority or what if they already had children? Whose authority or how, to what degree would that authority have been spread out among their children. I guess the question I'm asking, I'm not sure the best way to ask it, but the question I'm really asking is, if Adam and Eve had children and God's plan was for mankind to have authority on the earth, would Adam and Eve been the only two that had authority while they were here? The answer is no. Well, then what does that tell us? That tells us authority always has boundaries. Authority must have boundaries. Authority must have boundaries. Now, turn with me over to, uh, uh, let's start in Mark chapter 5. There's a lot of scriptures we could look at, and I, I really don't know if for the sake of time, but we're going to look at them all. So I may just refer to some things and let you check them out for yourself. But in Mark chapter 4, or Mark chapter 5, rather, I want you to see a, a story that the Bible tells us about. It's something that happened in the ministry of Jesus where he cast the devil out of a man that was well known for his deeds and doings and, and so forth. Now, folks, please understand, let me just say up front, I may say this several times this morning, there's nothing I'm talking about this morning that's intended to focus on the devil. If Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, after having told his disciples that we have authority over all the power of the devil, if he said, don't rejoice because the devils are subject to you, then he certainly doesn't want us focusing on the devil. And the Bible really gives us very little information about the devil. I think that's on purpose. If the Bible told us a lot about the devil, then you'd have even more people focusing on the devil than do now. But he does give us enough information so that we can see patterns. We can see principles. He gives us enough information to know about our enemy so that we know how to guard against the attacks of the enemy and so that we know how to resist him when he comes. And we know in what ways he intended for us to exercise authority. Mark chapter 5. We'll read... uh, well, I guess we better just read the whole story. Verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. 
who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. So he is powerful, right? This looks a lot like a counterfeit of the, the Holy Ghost power or God's power that came on Samson in the Old Testament. Folks, the devil always has a counterfeit for everything God does. But God's always swallows it up. God's power always swallows up the power of the devil. So it says, because they knew this, no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Notice he, now that's certainly not the devil, it's worshipping. So you see the man has not lost complete control of his will. He ran and worshipped Jesus and cried with a loud voice and said, now this is obviously the evil spirit that's, that's speaking now. He said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For Jesus had said, in other words, the, the, the chronology is reversed. After the man came and worshipped him, Jesus must have cast the evil spirit, told the evil spirit to come out of him, and now the evil spirit's answering back. Because Jesus had said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And then he asked, Jesus is speaking to the spirit, and he said, What is thy name? Now notice the way he answers. He says, My name is Legion, for we are many. So, so there's one in charge and a lot in operation. There's a bunch of them, whatever a legion would be, whatever number you want to assign to that, there's a bunch of them in operation, but there's one in charge. My name is Legion, for we are many. And he, the one in charge, Legion, besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now, please notice verse 10. And he, the evil spirit, besought him much that Jesus would not send them away out of the country. Folks, I want you to understand something. The devil is territorial. Now, there was, a great, there was nigh into the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him. Now, all of them are speaking up, apparently. Jesus must be hearing this in the Spirit. All the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out, plural, and, the herd ran, and went into the swine. And the herd ran violent, did down a steep place into the sea. And there were about 2,000, and they were choked into the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it into the city and in the country. And they came out to see what it was that was done. Now, folks, why would God do this? I've heard a lot of people say, well, I don't understand why Jesus would have destroyed these people's business. Well, where in the law of Moses does it allow you to, to herd pigs? See, these people are operating contrary to the law of Moses to begin with, so they're outside of the protection of the, of the Mosaic law. But the point I want you to see very specifically is what I've what said before, and that is the devil is territorial. Why would the evil spirits not want to go out of that country? What does it matter to the evil spirits, whether they're in the country of the Gadarenes, or whether over, they're over in Samaria, or whether they're in Judea, or some other place? Why does it matter? Folks, we see examples over and over and over again. Daniel chapter 10 tells us about this. Ezekiel chapter 28 tells us about this. It tells us that kingdoms, the kingdoms of the world have unseen spiritual kingdoms, evil spirits specifically, that are behind rulers, man, uh, natural human rulers that are influencing them whenever possible to do the work of the devil. We know that there's an unseen kingdom. 
We know that the power of the devil is at work. If that were not the case, the power of the name of Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with casting out devils. But we do know, we see very clearly that that's one of the things that Jesus said would follow, one of the signs that would follow those that believe in his name today. So we do have power and authority over the devil. The Bible tells us over and over and over again how that Satan's power can be subjugated or broken by the authority that's in the name of Jesus. Well, when you hear things like this, and in times past, you, you may have some experience with this as well. And remember in, in uh, well, within the last 10 years, I guess it is, how that some people would take these, these, uh, um, these bits of information about these unseen rulers that are behind kingdoms of the earth and, and so forth. And folks, that's not hard to realize. I mean, you look at, like, you look at a guy like Hitler, it's not too hard to figure out the devil was influencing him. You know? As a matter of fact, when we were uh, doing some uh, uh, traveling overseas, we were in Germany, and uh, the, uh, the pastor that we were with had married a German girl. And so she had, uh, they had shown us a couple of things around uh, that uh, Hitler had, uh, had built and, and some of the things that we knew of from a historical perspective. And she pulled out a book that was uh, written in German that was about Hitler's life, an autobiography of, of Hitler or something like that. I don't know. And so anyway, she got to a place and she said, I want you to, I want you to hear this. And so she started reading and, and she was interpreting. She's reading in German, but she was interpreting into English. And, um, and this biographer, whoever it was, said that, uh, that on many occasions, talking about one in specific, but on many occasions, Hitler would stand up in front of the crowd and, and it would just seem like a babbling idiot for a few moments. And then all of a sudden, and this is a, an unsaved biographer writing, it said, and then it would seem like something would come down on him, something unseen would come down on him, and all of a sudden he'd be transformed in front of the people. And he said, all of the, and, and when that transformation took place, he would speak with power, and he would have the, the crowd in the palm of his hand, and, and all this kind of stuff. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I know that the Holy Ghost turns me into a different person from time to time. I know I sometimes feel like I'm standing up here babbling like an idiot. And then God will give me something to say and things change. I'm very much aware of it whether anybody else is or not. Somebody looking in from the outside may not recognize there's much anointing on me, but I know the real me. I know that it's there. Well, it wouldn't surprise me at all for the devil to counterfeit that too. But see, people hear about these things about the unseen kingdom and how Satan is influencing things behind the scenes and, and, and certainly it's taking place in our country without question. All you got to do is have some spiritual insight and open your eyes and see what's going on. The things that are taking place in America, folks, are not the works of men. That's why it's not about Democrats versus Republicans. But people will hear things like this and they'll say, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to a certain city and we're going to pray and we're going to break the devil's power. I remember after we started the church, some years after we started the church, there was a group and, and, uh, that had a big meeting up in uh, Anaheim, the convention center. Thousands and thousands of people, maybe 10,000 people. And this guy was really well known. He had a big teaching uh, uh, that was... Uh, well, nationally and internationally known, I guess, on prayer. And so they were, gonna, they were just going to come to Los Angeles, and they were just, bless God, going to break the power of the devil over the city. And one of the things that, uh, that the gentleman said specifically is that he said, God told me to break the power of the spirit of murder over Los Angeles. Well, boy, that hit the news. 
They had a packed house. Everybody wanted to be a part of that. But I noticed a year later when there's no news, nobody's speaking much about it. I mean, it was a great meeting. Everybody talked about how wonderful it was, what a power of God was there, and, and so on and so forth. But a year later, there were more murders in the city of Los Angeles than there had been the year before. I've seen things go so crazy as for people to start getting up into the highest buildings in the city, the top floor of the tallest building in the city, so they could pull down powers, pull down principalities and powers and break the stronghold of the devil. Well, folks, if that were the case, why not rent an airplane? And for that matter, it's getting pretty close to the place where we could just rent space on the space shuttle. We just take care of the earth all at once. Have you ever noticed that Jesus never went into a city and broke the power of the devil over the city? Never noticed that Jesus never went and looked around and said, where's the tallest mountain? Let's go up and break the power of the devil over this. Why? Because authority has boundaries. Authority has boundaries. And if you don't recognize the boundaries of the authority that you have the opportunity to operate in, then you're going to make foolish examples of yourself just like other people have done. Now, there are times where those boundaries can be extended. I, I, I remember there, there have been, uh, well, I don't remember how long ago it was. Pro- the church had probably been going for, I don't know, six or eight years, maybe, something like that. And there was a rash of freeway shootings. And, boy, everybody was on edge. I mean, it had been one, one or two a week for three or four weeks or something like that. And we came to church one Sunday morning, and it was everybody was talking about it. It had been going on for some time, and everybody was talking about it. It was in different places. It had been in Orange County. It had been in Los Angeles County. It had been all over the place. And, I, and we're sitting there, just a small group, and uh, uh, somebody just said something. Hey, did you hear there was another one this morning, on a Sunday morning? And I'm sitting there, and the Lord all of a sudden spoke to my heart. We, the, they were singing praise and worship, and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, How long are you going to let this go on? thinking, well, I didn't shoot anybody. I've wanted to. (laughs) But it wouldn't be random, you know. I mean, certain people picked out. But that's what the Lord said to me. He said, how long are you going to let this go on? And I thought, what do I have to do with this? Most of them, there had been one in Orange County, maybe two in Orange County, but most of them were in Los Angeles County. I thought, well, what do I have to do with this? He said, didn't I send you here? Yeah. He said, then break the power of the devil over this thing. Oh. Okay. So just sitting there in my chair. I said, Satan, I take authority over you. I break the power of the devil over this thing. In the name of Jesus, there won't be another freeway shooting. And there was not. And there was not. Well. Now we know who's got the power. (laughs) So then other things have happened in the same territory. Something happened not long ago, not long after that. It was the same type of situation. It wasn't as widespread, but the same type of situation. So I just bless God. I'm going to take authority over that thing. Well, I did and nothing happened. And I thought, Lord, I don't, I don't get this. Didn't you send me here? That's what he asked me before. <laughs> didn't you send me here? He didn't answer me a word. Didn't answer a word. 
Folks, there's something about authority, and that is there is a specific defined authority that you have in your own life. And if those boundaries are extended, it's going to have to be something by the Holy Ghost. You remember over in, um, uh, what is it, Acts chapter 19? Look with me over there. Well, this isn't going anywhere like I thought it was going to go. I'm sorry, it's Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, it says that uh, Paul was in Philippi, the chief city of Macedonia, which is Philippi. And it said, uh, beginning in verse 16, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination. She's a fortune teller. She's a little slave girl, and she's making money for her owners, her masters, by telling fortunes. She's possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying or fortune telling. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Notice verse 18. And this did she many days. Now, how many is many? Anybody got any idea how long she did this? I don't. I would expect many to be more than a few. I would expect, I wouldn't consider this to be a week, would you? I don't know if it's as long as a month, but it's quite a while, I guess. I mean, for the Bible to tell us many rather than a few or give us a specific uh, amount of time, period of time that it happened, it, it indicates to me that it happened day after day after day after day after day. Doesn't it seem to you? Doesn't that seem reasonable? And this did she many day, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now, they wound up getting thrown in prison over this. Causes a big stir in the city. They get thrown in prison and, and, and so forth. But let me ask you a question. Why did it take many days for Paul to be grieved in the spirit? If it was wrong for her to do it after many days, wasn't it wrong for her to do it the first day? Why didn't Paul just bless God, take authority over that thing? Folks, that bless God attitude, I'm going to do something about this, usually comes by people that are trying to magnify subjugating the devil's authority. In other words, they're doing exactly what Jesus said not to do in Luke 10, 20. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you. You need to understand something about authority. Authority can't be forced. Authority cannot be forced. You don't see Jesus struggling with the devil when he's casting them out. You never see that in operation. Jesus says, shut up, come out. Now, I know a lot of people have people throw up in bags and, you know, do all kinds of crazy things and, and stuff like that. But Jesus' principle was, shut up, come out. He's not struggling. He's not fighting over anything. It, it's an interesting thing because spiritual things are progressive. both negatively and positively. The things of the devil are progressive. The things of God are progressive. How many of you have ever had to fight discouragement? Well, we all do. Over the last couple of weeks, I've had, more, I've had some of the most discouraging things to deal with than I've ever had in my life. Well, what do you do? How you handle that introduction 
determines what it's going to do in your life. See, discouragement, if it's meditated on, if it's yielded to, will turn into despair. And then that will turn into despondency. And then that will turn into depression. In other words, it takes you over little by little by little. Things of God are the same way. It says of George Muller, you remember who? You remember hearing the story about George Muller? He was a guy that uh, the Lord spoke to in, in uh, the early, oh, when was it? I guess it was, well, it was the 1800s sometime or another. I don't know exactly the time period. But back before there were newsletters or, or partners or anything like that, the Lord spoke to him to have an orphanage. Well, he started off with just one or two kids in an orphanage. The Lord worked things out miraculously for him to have a home for him to be in. By the end of his life, some 50 years later, he wound up with an orphanage that was responsible for the care of 2,000 kids. And he would just pray and ask God to meet their needs. There were stories about when they'd go to bed at night and not have enough food for breakfast. And in the middle of the night, somebody would come by and bring a wagon load full of food. And, and it was said of Muller that after 50 years of walking with God, of asking and receiving, and the fellowship that being in prayer with God produced, it said he carried himself like a prince. Joshua asked a question in, uh, in uh, I'm sorry, it's not Joshua, it was Gideon. In, uh, in Judges chapter 8, I think it's verse 18, he's talking to some of the enemies of Israel. Gideon is talking to some people that he has just, uh, just defeated them and, and taken their cities. And so he asked of others of Israel, and he asked, who were those that you dealt with at a certain city? And the response was, they were like you. They looked like children of the king. What we need to understand about authority is this. Jesus said, don't rejoice because the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Why are your names written in heaven? Because of the blood of Jesus. When you come to understand that the blood of Jesus was not just the redeeming agent, but it is the evidence that Jesus has gained victory and defeated the devil once and for all, and that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, then authority becomes something where you don't have to fight with the devil. It's something where you just have to maintain the victory that's already been won by Jesus in whose authority you share. Now, here's something else about authority. We know how the devil works. The devil works by trying to force subjugation to his will. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. He had to deceive Eve in order to gain ground with her. Adam wasn't deceived, but he's trying to force upon them through deceit. He's trying to force upon them a subjugation to his own will. Well, since God and the devil are opposites, that means authority is never going to subjugate anybody's will. But rather, the reverse is true. God's plan, God's purpose. See, the devil's purpose is always to force you. And he usually has to force you through deception first. Then after he gets his hooks in, then he can force you through addictions or, or influence or whatever. But God's purpose is just the opposite. God's purpose is by freeing a man's spirit to liberate his will to follow God by choice. That's why God never forces you. You know, I was, I was afraid when, uh, when I first started thinking about being filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and some of you heard my story. My mother got filled with the Holy Ghost. And boy, she tried to push it on me. Changed her life and she wanted it to change mine too. 
And so, I mean, she's just right there in my face speaking in tongues in front of me. And I'm thinking, stop. I don't want to hear that. I loved God, but I didn't know anything about it. Didn't, I just wasn't in a place where I wanted it. But as I started reading a little bit and finding some more information, seeing the results in her, in her own life when she would chill a little bit, and I could see, you know, that it was having a positive impact rather than her just trying to push, push it toward me. When I saw some of those things, I came to the point where I said, okay, Lord, I, 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 I think I want this. But there was this fear that I had that I would be in front of my friends who would think I was nuts. And then God would come on me and make me speak with tongues in front of them and just embarrass the stew out of me. Well, looking back, I can see that was the devil trying to make me afraid of being filled with the Spirit. Because God never forces you to do anything. If God forced us to do anything, you wouldn't have disobeyed him as much as you have. Every time we have disobeyed him, we've done it by choice. Knowing full well we shouldn't be doing it. Why didn't God force us to do the right thing? Because God doesn't ever force you. God never subjugates your will to his. He gives you the opportunity by showing you what his will is. But he never forces you. Absolutely never forces you. There's a, um, well, let me tell you a story. Let me see if I can make a point with this. A few years ago, well, more than a few, we won't talk about how many, uh, I turned uh, 47 years of age. I know, long time ago. Okay. Um, anyway, when I turned 47, I mean, I had just had a birthday, and uh, just a few days afterwards, I woke up in the middle of the night in a panic. And uh, I'd had a dream, but it was, well, it was a dream, but it was really more of a memory. And it was a memory of my dad in the hospital. My dad died of lung cancer. He had to have uh, several parts of his, both lungs removed. And, uh, and as a result, he was, uh, the last few weeks of his life particularly, uh, he still had cancer in his lungs. They got to where they couldn't take any more out. You can't, you can't live without enough lung capacity to survive. And he had hit his limit, so they couldn't do any more with surgery. And the, the chemotherapy and the radiation, whatever other stuff they had going on, didn't do anything about it. And so uh, my dad really suffered the last couple of weeks of his life because he couldn't get any breath. He'd lay down. And whenever he laid down, he just, he just couldn't breathe. And he would, uh, you know, he got virtually no sleep for, the, for that period of time. Well, I, I woke up and had a, had a dream where I saw those things happening. And as soon as I woke up, I couldn't breathe. And the thought came to me, you're the same age now that your dad was when he died. Well, I got up out of bed. I went downstairs. I walked around. I took authority over this in the name of Jesus. Went back upstairs. Went to, went to sleep. Went back to bed. Tried to go to sleep. Took me a long time to get back to sleep. I'd been asleep maybe for an hour or two. Woke up again just like that. This went on week after week after week after week. I'd get maybe two hours of sleep at the most and then wake up with this panic, this dread. By the way, I've seen a commercial nowadays where they've got a, a, a medical condition, a name for that now. It shows the guy with the elephant sitting on his chest. That's exactly how I felt. Exactly how I felt. Well, I'm praying. I'm taking authority over the devil. I'm claiming my healing. I'm pushing every lever and pulling every button. I guess it's the other way around. Pulling every lever and pushing every button. 
I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm praying every prayer that I've ever read about in the Bible. I'm praying every prayer that I've ever heard anybody ever say they prayed over the sick. I'm doing everything I know to do. And I'm getting nothing. Absolutely nothing. I fought this thing month after month. I'm praying. I'm asking God. I'm saying, okay, Lord, there's got to be something here that I'm not seeing. What is this? And over and over and over again, this thought keeps running over in my head. You're the same age your dad was when he died. Somehow along the way, I settled into the realization or what I thought was the realization that, okay, I guess that I'm going to have to fight this thing until I'm 48. Man, I never was so glad to hit a birthday in my life. I hit 48 and it stopped dead in its tracks. Well, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, the Bible talks about familiar spirits. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 10 or Luke chapter, what is it? Luke chapter 11, maybe. Luke chapter 11. Let me show you this and I'll finish my story. Don't let me finish. Don't let me forget my story. Okay. Jesus is accused by the religious people that he's casting out the devil through the power of the devil. And Jesus explains in verse 17, he said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against itself cannot stand or faileth. Now, folks, that's the same thing. The same principle is true where the church's attitude towards sickness and healing on God's part is concerned. If God's making people sick and God's healing them, then his kingdom can't stand. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying if the devil is oppressing people and then casting his own work out of them, then his kingdom will fall. The same thing's true where sickness and healing are concerned. If God's working both sides of the street, then his kingdom will fall unless Jesus was lying to us. But then Jesus goes forward, forward and, and uh, he says, and if I'm casting out devils by the power of the devil, then whose power is it that your sons will cast out devils? They'll be your own judge. And then he says... Um, Verse 24, skip down with me to verse 24. Again, here's the principle. I'm not trying to look for devils. Couldn't care less about the devil. The devil is never your problem. He may be the influence behind your problem, but he's never your problem. Verse 24, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return into my house, which I came out. Notice he calls it his. The man in whom the unclean spirit is cast out the evil spirit says, that's my house. I will return to my house from whence I came out. And when he comes, he finds it swept and garnished. That means empty. It's clean, but it's empty. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, somewhere along the way during my 47th year, when I'm fighting this thing day after day, only, only way that I could get, toward the end, the only way I could get any sleep whatsoever is sit up in a chair. I learned to sleep stand, sitting up. Confessing the word, believing God, doing everything I knew to do. But somewhere along the way, I got to thinking, this is the same thing that came against my dad, now it's trying to come against me. Well, I hit 48, and it stopped dead in its tracks. My 48th birthday was the best night of sleep I've ever had in my life. It was wonderful. I slept all the way through, and it was like, oh, heaven has opened up, and glory has come down. It was wonderful, just absolutely wonderful. Well, my mom called me and wished me happy birthday and all that kind of stuff. 
So I related the story to her. I hadn't told anybody, hadn't said anything to anybody about it at all. So I said, Mom, I, I need to tell you what happened. So I related the story to her. She said, Mike, you've got to be kidding me. I said, no, I wish I was. She said, your dad was 48 when he died. And instantly the thought came to me, you got another year to go. <laughs> and I said out loud, I've got her on the phone. I said out loud, I said, no, I don't. No, I don't. Now, folks, here's the thing that I'm trying to get across to you. I spent a lot of time dealing with something that I didn't have to deal with because I had the thought, and I, I started talking to the Lord about this. I said, Lord, what is going on? He said, where do you think the thought came from that said this was related to your dad? Uh, that was the thought the devil put in my mind. It was a lie, but the thought itself influenced me. And it changed everything about my believing. Somehow I, I, I allowed this thing to get me into a place where I said, well, okay, I guess I'm going to have to put up with this for a certain period of time. And, and that's where my faith was when I turned 48. That'll be the end of it. And when I turned 48, that was the end of it. But I'm the one that decided when. And I decided it based on a lie. Folks, I want you to understand. The people that are unsaved are influenced by the devil and have no idea that they're being influenced. No clue. Their mind is blinded to the truth. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are being influenced by the devil and they don't know they are either. I was being influenced by the devil preaching in church. We had good services during that time. Power of God was healing other people. And I'm thinking. <laughs> and here's exactly what happens. What happens so often is people are trying to get somebody else to do something for them when the only cure is for them, or the only solution is for them to exercise their own authority. When I said, this will end when I'm 48, based on wrong thinking, it ended when I was 48. Man, I suffered. I suffered that whole year. Terrible, terrible time. Didn't have to. But see, my thinking, my thinking was wrong about it. Your thinking influences everything, folks. Wrong thinking influences your believing. If you think wrong, you're going to believe wrong. That's why so many people think that they have to put up with sickness because they think God's trying to teach them something. Because they think wrong, they're believing wrong, and the principle of faith still works according to your faith, believe it, uh, be it unto you. Whatever you believe for, you can have. I believe for this thing for a whole year. And if you had asked me if I was believing for it, I would have told you absolutely not, you're lying. But through wrong thinking, I allowed something to stay a lot longer than it ever had to. Do you understand the point? Here's why it's so important for us to have the right relationships. The Bible speaks all through Proverbs. It warns men about the strange women, particularly young men. It warns them against strange women and harlots. It warns them against sexual impurity. You know why? Because what you give yourself to, you yield your authority to. Paul said it this way. He said, he that's joined to a harlot is one flesh. How? Sexual intercourse does not make you one with another person. What about somebody that's, that's been sexually promiscuous? How many people are they one with? It's not a physical thing. 
It means you're yielding your authority to somebody else. You're yielding a measure of your authority to another influence. Proverbs says about the, the young man that joins himself to the harlot, to the strange woman, it says like an ox being led to the slaughter, he doesn't know that he's headed for destruction. Well, why didn't he know? Because he's yielded his authority. Proverbs also says, asking the young man, why would you give your strength to a strange woman? What's he talking about? He's not talking about sexual seed. He's not talking about the strength of reproduction. He's talking about authority. Why would you yield your authority to somebody else that's taking you in the wrong direction? Folks, who you listen to, you yield an element or a measure of your authority to. That's why picking the right church is really important. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it eat the fruit thereof. Another translation says it this way. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. People have died for saying the wrong things. Well, why would people die saying the wrong things? Because they were influenced to say the wrong things. Folks, please understand. If everybody knew and understood the principle of God that you are controlled by the words of your mouth, everybody would talk differently. The reason that we don't is because people don't know. Why don't they know? Because of the influences around them, because of the influences that come against them. The devil rarely shows up with a big sign saying, it's me. But he'll start slow. Why? Because he's trying to gain a foothold. He's trying to gain just a little bit more, just inch by inch by inch, because the more you give him, whether it's an inch or whether it's a mile, the more you give him, the more you're yielding your authority to him. And spiritual things are progressive. They're progressive, both positively and negatively. Counseling is a real serious thing because you're yielding your influence or you're yielding your authority to the influence of a counselor. I don't take counseling appointments. I don't want to be responsible. People say, well, Pastor Mike, will you counsel with me? No, I'll talk to you after church. And if it's necessary, then, then we may sit down and talk. But if you've got this idea you're going to come talk to me over and over and over again week after week after week, that is not happening. I'll counsel you the way Jesus did. He tells you the truth and says, now go do it. I've seen people. Got to be careful about this. I've seen people go to counselors and get information from counselors, great information. But because the purpose of the counselor is to discover rather than put back together, then the counseling becomes something where the person uses it as an excuse for their attitude or feelings of being victimized. When they could turn it around and say, well, yeah, now I see. This makes sense. Go back to their husband or their wife or whatever and say, I see you're not the problem. I was attaching you to this, and it was this, not you, and put things together again. But so much of this is about discovery. Well, that's what the devil wanted to do. The devil wanted Eve to discover the forbidden tree. Turn with me over to uh, um, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, 
Notice verse 26 and 27. Paul, speaking by the Holy Ghost, said, Be ye angry and sin not. Please notice he did not say don't be angry. Jesus was angry when he changed, chased the money changers out of the temple. There are some things you ought to be angry about. There are things that are right to be angry about. It said, don't let your anger lead you into sin. Jesus was angry when he saw the money changers in the temple. He didn't sin when he drove them out. He didn't hate them. He wasn't trying to harm them. He was trying to put the, the temple of God back into the right place, the right condition. So it says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Notice the connection between anger, the, the wrong response to anger and giving place to the devil is. You ever notice how many young people are angry? We've had, uh, I remember one situation many, many, many years ago where the, the, um, uh, the family, there was a young family that came to our church or a family with young kids, that's what I'm trying to say. And uh, the, the mother and father had just gotten divorced. They wound up getting back together again and it turned out to be a great story. But the mother and father had just gotten divorced or separated or something, maybe not even divorced, but they were separated. And their young child, they had a little girl, she was so angry. She, uh, and she's too, she's too young to even know what anger is. But she was so angry. She was mad at the world. It's because her daddy had left. We call it acting out now. The Bible calls it anger and sin. Now, why is that? The devil wants to make... I remember this as a teenager. I was saved. I wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost, but I was saved. I remember there was a period of time. There was about a year, a year and a half. I was just mad at the world. Things weren't going my way. Girls didn't like me. Sports weren't going my way. Didn't have any money. Didn't have a car. My mom would fix me liver for breakfast every morning. She was on this kick. She thought that's healthy for you somehow or another. I don't know. Wake up every morning to liver. I was mad at the world. Just mad at the world. And that year and a half, that period of time, I remember there was more influence of the devil in my life than any other time I can remember. There's a direct relationship between anger and giving place to the devil, folks. Direct relationship. That's why the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked. And it's not just talking about marriage. It's saying in our relationships, we need to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to be influenced so that we give ourselves, give of ourselves bits and pieces of our authority. You get the wrong friends. What's the old saying? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Why is that? Because the friends you have, if they're influencing you away from God, you're yielding your authority to them. And the more and the more and the more that you do it, the less and less and less authority you yield and you you operate in in your own life. I didn't mean for this to turn somber this morning. But it's absolutely the truth. What are we yielding our authority to? 
doesn't just have to be people. It can be things. What are we yielding our authority to? What are you allowing to take place in your life? Are you doing like I did with that thing when I was 47? You putting up with something, thinking there's nothing else you can do? Oh, there's a lot you can do. Other than having a sermon illustration, I hate my 47th year. Because it was a year that I let the devil manipulate me through ignorance. But he did so nevertheless. It was his influence upon me that brought about harm. He robbed me. Well, that's his purpose. The thief comes not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. Man, he stole sleep from me in a year, a whole year. Now, folks, if it had really been associated and connected with my dad, now some people say, yeah, well, Pastor Mike's talking about generational curses. I'm not. No such thing. There's a devil that operates against you, and he may operate against you in the same familiar way that he did your family. But the Bible says Jesus laid an axe to the root of the tree. That means whatever your natural family history or family tree was, Jesus did away with that. Yeah, well, the doctor says, I'm genetically disposed to cancer. I'm spiritually disposed to health. You make all kinds of excuses, and we do. We make all kinds of excuses. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible says, we're back to where we started. Jesus said, behold, I give you authority. To tread on serpents and scorpions and over all, A-double-L, all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. That means if you and I learn to renew our minds to the word, think the word so that we believe rightly, there's nothing the devil can do. Now, that's a process. My mind's not completely renewed to the word. Is yours? I've still got a ways to go. Maybe longer than I'd like to, longer ways than I'd like to admit. But I'm going to do it every day for the rest of my life anyway. So what's the point in thinking that I've arrived? Then what would I do? The daily process anyhow. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I've been believing for something forever. How long is it going to take? Yeah, I understand. I, I can relate to you. I've been believing for some things for a long time too. But think about it from the other standpoint. If you had in hand what you were believing for, what would you do tomorrow? You're going to believe God about something, aren't you? You're not going to stop believing God because he answers your prayer. Then what's the difference for believing for something else and believing for this? The key is the position of faith, not whether or not you got something in hand. I'm believing God, period. The Bible says my responsibility is to believe that I receive. God's responsibility is to see that I have it. Timing's his problem, not mine. When you come to the place where you realize that, then you take that. Let me show you one last verse of Scripture. Actually, it's three verses of Scripture. Turn with me to uh, Psalm 42, I think it is. Let me show you something. I'll close with this. Promise. Close with this. Some services, it feels like I've been teaching for 10 minutes and, and it's been an hour. Other services, it feels like I've been teaching for two days and it's ten minutes. This is one of those two days and ten minutes thing. Psalm 42, 
Look at verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Here's David asking himself a question. He's talking to himself. He's saying, why are you cast down, soul? What's your problem? He's questioning himself. Why am I cast down? Why am I feeling discouraged? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Disquieted means clamorous. It can be translated worry as well. What am I worried about? What am I upset about? What am I agitated about? Here's the answer. Here's what I'm supposed to be doing instead. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Now, I want you to look with me over to verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Notice the difference. It says in verse uh, 5, it says, for he is the, praise him for the help of his countenance. Verse 11 I shall, that says that God is the health of my countenance. Now notice in verse, uh, chapter, Psalm 43, verse 5. Here's the same thing. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. I have no idea why Psalm 42, verse 5 is translated differently than the others because they're exactly the same, word for word. All three verses are word for word in the original Greek, or original Hebrew, excuse me. I have no idea why Psalm 42, verse 5 is translated a little bit differently because they are exactly the same words. It's the same verse three times. Twice in Psalm 42 and once in Psalm 43. It says, and by the word, the, the word that's translated health in Psalm 42, 11 and Psalm 43, 5. Is that what it is? 43, 5. The word translated health is the word victory. He's the victory of my countenance. He's the victory of my countenance. The word countenance means face. It's saying very simply this. What am I upset about? Why am I worried? Why am I agitated about this? Why am I anxious? I'm supposed to praise God because he's the victory of my face. It connects very specifically. It connects what your face shows and the victory that you walk in. Too often you see people that are believing God and boy, it's like, I believe in God. Praise the Lord, I believe I'm healed. That's not how it works. It goes back to what we talked about before. George Muller, it is said of him that he carried himself like a prince. It is said in Judges chapter 8 and verse 18, it said that the people of Israel looked just like Gideon. They looked like they were children of the king. Folks, when you realize that authority is yours and you realize as a result of that, you don't have to fight the devil. There's no fight. The only fight the Bible tells us to fight is the fight, the good fight of faith. That's it. It is the maintaining of victory that's already been accomplished. That's what the exercise of authority is all about. And it'll always work for you. It'll always work for you. It may not always work for you on behalf of the other guy. Because you can't ever use your authority to usurp somebody else's will. Lester Summerall told a story about how that uh, he went to a certain place, certain city overseas. And after he got there, there was another missionary that he was with and connected with. And, and uh, this, this whole city seemed to be held in the grip of this fortune teller type, witch doctor, whatever they called him, I don't know. And he would be in a certain place in the city square. And everybody would come by and they'd throw money at his feet 
trying to appease him so that he wouldn't pronounce some curse on him and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so this uh, missionary is taking Lester down through town, and Lester sees the big commotion, and Lester says, what's going on over there? And so the missionary explains to him what's going on and what's happened and starts telling him, you know, this guy cursed this one person because he wouldn't, you know, pay money to him or something like that. And his house burnt down and his, his cattle fell sick and all this other kind of stuff that would take place. And so the, the, the fame of this guy has gone throughout all the region. So this guy's making piles and piles and piles of money. So he would come, and as people would, would you know, put money down, then they would ask him for direction or, and for, for certain things, you know, tell my future, show me what I should do in this situation type thing. So Lester said, um, uh, pull the car over here. They were driving through the square and saw all the people. He said, pull the car over. So Lester gets out of the car, and he, this guy's sitting there at this little, little whatever. It's not really a table, but there's some little thing there that he's kind of sitting at where he's holding court. Lester goes... Like the guy sitting here at the pulpit, Lester goes and stands behind the guy. Doesn't say a word. Just stands behind the guy. Well, after a few moments, this fellow's sitting here trying to, to be the big guy, you know, the big man with all the, the power and all the, the information and all this kind of stuff. He kind of starts getting agitated. Starts, you know, something's not right. Something, something's not right. People would ask him questions. He'd stumble around, couldn't give him an answer. Lester's just standing there. After a few minutes, this fellow starts looking around. He's trying to figure out, what's the problem? You know, something's not working. This evil spirit that was driving him, somehow or another, he's being hindered. What's, what's happening? What's, what's going on? So he starts looking around. Finally, turns around and looks at Lester and says, this man has to leave. Lester says, I'm not going anywhere. In Lester's, you know, one-of-a-kind voice, I'm not going anywhere. Lester kept standing there. This guy could not do a thing. This guy had to pick up his stuff and walk away. The missionary standing there. He said, I've never seen anything like that in my life. And Lester asked him, he said, why have you been letting this go on? Now, he didn't say, why haven't you cast the devil out of this guy? You can't cast the devil out of the guy. The guy wants the devil. But it, the devil couldn't operate while he was in Lester's presence. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Folks, you need to realize you are just like Moses who came down from the mountain. His face shined. Moses didn't know his face was shining. We may not see it. We may be so used to operating in natural things. We don't recognize the the result of the presence of God in our lives. But people without the presence of God sure do. And you need to be aware of the fact that that authority that belongs to you because you are in Christ is something that you can exercise and hinder the devil's operation. Even if somebody doesn't give you permission to cast the devil out of them or off of their situation or break the devil and power the devil in their situation, whatever it is, you still have authority in the name of Jesus to hinder the devil's working. There are boundaries of that. But that boundary always extends in your life and out a little bit from you to affect other people as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the authority that we have in the name of Jesus. Yes, I see that, Lord. We need to do that. All right. Forget about praying. Stand up with me. Prayer is good, but prayer doesn't take the place of everything. Close your eyes and raise one hand toward heaven and say this after me. I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That blood gained victory over spiritual death, sickness, and poverty. 
in the name of Jesus, I declare that no aspect, no part of spiritual death has any place in me. No sickness has any place in me. No poverty or lack has any place in me. By the authority of the name of Jesus, I declare that I walk free from every evil influence that is in this world. I choose to maintain my authority and to exercise that authority to perform the will of God in my life. In Jesus' name, I declare it to be so. Amen. 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 Folks, check up on who you're listening to. Because the devil tries to influence you through other people, sometimes well-meaning people, sometimes Christians. You need to identify who you're listening to because whoever you give ear to, you're yielding your authority to. You need to make sure it's only the right people and only the right situations and only to the right things that you hear. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Come on back and be with us tonight for Healing School at the camp. You're dismissed.